Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 uh, through 35. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all your possessions. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is useful neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. They throw it away. If you have ears to hear, then hear. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for this word. We thank you for allowing us together, together to worship your name, to share in your table, to proclaim your goodness and your grace. On this day, O Lord, we ask that you will open our minds and our hearts and our spirits to receive this word as it is proclaimed. Give me your thoughts to be my own, Lord, so that only your words are spoken. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to think about all the things we calculate on a daily basis as we consider what we are going to do. Even before you get out of bed, you're already calculating how much time you have. Can I hit that snooze button one more time? Do I need another cup of coffee, which the answer is always yes. How much Coffee should I put in the coffee maker? Do I have enough water in there? Do I have the cups and the sweetener and the other stuff I want to put in it? You see, when we're considering our day and we're beginning our day, we begin a mental checklist of considerations. All the things that are going to be involved, all the things that we have planned, all the things that we have scheduled. You see, we consider things like the time. Am I going to have enough time to get to work on time? Am I going to have enough time to get all of the things that I have in my agenda today? Am I going to have enough time to eat, <laughs> given everything else I've got to do? Am I going to have enough time? But time and resources are only two of the components that we consider, aren't they? We consider how much effort it's going to take for us to get through our day. You know, yesterday was not so bad, but today, ooh, it's looking rough. There's so much in today that I just don't know if I have the energy and the strength and the stamina and the disposition. You know, today looks rough. Yesterday was okay, but today looks rough. We consider 
everything that's going to be involved in our day in terms of effort. And then we also considered the opportunity cost of every decision that we'll make during the day. You know, if I spend this much time on this project, I'll have enough time to grab a sandwich. If I, if I go, go and do this in this order, then maybe I'll be able to get through with this other thing that I have to do in the evening. We consider the opportunity cost because we realize that we can't be in two places at one time. Any, anybody ever feel like you got so much to do in your day that you wish you could clone yourself in two or three and just send your clones out in different directions to just take care of everything you got to do? I mean, sometimes it just seems like there's just not enough to go around to be able to accomplish everything you have to do. You see, opportunity cost in finance has to do with decisions that, that we make in which if we choose A, we can't have B, and if we choose B, we can't have A. You got to choose one or the other. You don't get to have both sometimes. And the opportunity cost means you can't be in two places at one time. You can't necessarily focus on two things at one time because then you won't be able to get it done. And then we also think about requirements. What will actually be required of me this day? What do I have to produce? What do I have to accomplish? What are my goals for the day? What, you know, I don't know about you, but I get a honey to-do list every now and then, and I got to get it done in a certain amount of time or I get in trouble. You know, you get a mental checklist of things that you have to go through in your day. And those requirements of the day kind of put, put a stress on us because we know that this is something that needs to get done. And when you consider all that, you don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> because you realize how much is being demanded of you. It's when you want to crawl back in bed and fall asleep and pretend like the day never happened and wake up the next day. But we can't do that, can we? You see, when I calculating the cost this morning, I decided that I needed to get here on time instead of having that extra cup of coffee or those few extra hours of sleep. We all have to make choices. But each choice comes with a consequence, and we all have to calculate the cost. Sometimes we do this consciously, and sometimes we do it unconsciously. Sometimes we're fully aware, okay, I'm choosing this, and I'm not choosing that. But there are times when we're just unconsciously making those decisions as we go through. In our scripture today, Jesus addresses a large crowd that has been traveling with him. He tells them that it will not be easy for them to continue following him. That it will not be easy to be his disciples, his students. He says, in fact, you will have to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother and sister, and even life itself if you want to be my disciple. That doesn't sound very Jesus-like, does it? You'll have to hate your family. You'll have to hate your own life. That sounds very un-Jesus-y, if that's even a word. It's not what we would expect Jesus to tell us. 
We would expect him to tell us we have, we have to love our families. He, we would expect him to tell us we have to love our lives. We would expect him to tell us we have to cherish those around us. But instead, he says, if you want to be my disciples, my followers, you have to despise family and life itself. Does he really expect you to hate your family? Sounds harsh. Well, in order to understand this scripture, you have to look at the whole passage of chapter 14. For you see, Jesus has been addressing this crowd for some time. He's been addressing Pharisees among this crowd for some time. He's been trying to explain to them that the kind of kingdom that he's bringing about is not like the kingdoms that they're used to. He's trying to explain to them that if they want to be first, they have to be last. That in his kingdom, if you get slapped, you turn the other cheek. He's been trying to explain to them that if you want to come to his kingdom, you've got to become a servant of all. You see, and this is kind of contrary to everything that we think about when we think about a glorious kingdom. We think about being on top. We think about having everything provided for us. We think about being richly blessed. We don't think about being servants, being last, being humble, being willing to give. But Jesus has been telling the crowd, my kingdom is not like what you expect. The first will be last. The poor will be blessed. The ones who mourn will be comforted. The ones who are captive will be set free. My kingdom is not like anything you've ever experienced. And then he gets to this portion where Jesus is trying to get them to understand not that they have to hate other things, but basically what he's trying to say is that they have to love him more. He's basically saying, you, you can't love your family above me. You can't love your life above me. You can't love anything above me. I have to be the one you love the most. If you are going to be my disciple and follow me, you have to put me first. You see, people were always trying to follow Jesus. Have you noticed that in Scripture? Everywhere he went, a crowd would form. People would travel long distances to come and hear Jesus and see Jesus. Let's face it, it was great to be a follower of Jesus when he was giving out free food, fishes and bread. It was great to follow Jesus when he was healing the sick and the lame and the blind and even the demon-possessed when they were seeing him cure leprosy. It was great to follow Jesus when he was delivering those who were possessed by evil spirits. It was great to follow Jesus when he was sticking it to the religious people by reminding them that they were whitewashed tombs. But it got harder to follow Jesus when he began to invite them to eat his body and drink his blood. In fact, many people turned away when he told them that. They said, oh, yeah, I think we're done. We're going back home. You just got creepy and strange. It got harder when he said to them that if they wanted to follow him, they had to deny themselves and take up their cross. And, you know, before you say, oh, everybody wants a cross, not back then. Back then, nobody wanted a cross. A cross was a, a torture chamber. It was a place where you went to die. It was a place where you went to be ridiculed. It was a place where you went to spill blood. It was a place where you ended. And it was a place where you were put because you were a criminal. So for him to tell them, 
uh, pick up your cross and follow me is not as easy as it sounds. It requires us to count the cost and to really think about what it means to follow Jesus. Do you remember what happened when the disciples that were with Jesus for three years doing ministry, what happened to them when they considered the cost and Jesus was arrested? They actually loved their lives more than they loved Jesus. They ran away. They actually loved their lives more than they loved Jesus because they weren't willing to go with him where he was going. In fact, he told them, you, you, you're not going to be able to come where I'm going. What I'm about to do, you're not even going to understand right now. At least not yet. At least not now. You won't be able to follow me now. Jesus uses two illustrations in this scripture to make his point to the crowd that he's talking to. In the first one, he describes someone who intends to build a tower. He says, you don't just get up in the morning and decide, I'm going to build a tower today. He says, you, you've got to sit down and you've got to consider the cost. You've got to consider whether you have the materials, the expertise, the time, what is required in order to build that tower. And if you can't complete it, hear this, if you can't complete it, you don't start it. If you can't complete it, you don't start it. Because you have considered the cost and realized you can't make it. Think about what that means for us. When you're considering the cost of a vacation, you don't just go, you know, I can pay for the first week, we'll just wing the second week. We'll just see how it goes. You don't plan for an addition to your house by saying, you know, I'm going to add one room and see if the other one just magically appears. You don't plan to fix your car by saying a prayer and leaving it on the side of the road and hoping that it just starts running again. You make a plan. You name what you need. You realize what you have. And then you put a plan together in order to accomplish it. Let's, let's be honest. If you were going to remodel a house or add an, an addition, you would have somebody draw plans. You would make sure that you had the resources necessary to buy what was required in materials. You would make sure that you had an expert to help you build it because you wouldn't want it to turn up like something that would be on one of those bad house shows where the model went really bad. So you would make sure that you had everything that you needed and you would count the cost. And you know why you would count the cost? Because you want to be able to complete it, but you want to be able to complete it well. You don't want to do it halfway. You want to do it well. We all count the cost. Sometimes formally through spreadsheets and budgets and professionals being hired. And sometimes informally by just estimating what it's going to cost us if we don't do it. You know, I could mouth off to one of my kids, but it might not be worth it. Why? The opportunity cost. What am I going to lose by doing that? I could choose to ignore the honey to-do list, but then again, i got to live with a woman. So I can't do that. 
you know? I could choose not to show up for work, but then I could get fired. There's always a cost. Whether we choose to do or not do, there's always a result. There's always something that happens because of it. And we all have to count the cost. We all have to consider the alternative. We all have to understand the consequences. The second illustration that Jesus uses is that of a king who is going out to wage war against another king. And if you read the scripture, this king is in trouble. You know why? Because before the war has even started, he's outnumbered two to one. Scripture says that he has 10,000 and the opposing king has 20,000. And the question he has to ask himself is, can I beat his 20 with my 10? Well, you don't have to be a military genius to know that normally when you're outnumbered two to one, that's not good odds. And he says, if this king considers the war that he's about to enter and he realizes he can't win, then he will send a delegation to the other king before we ever even hit the battlefield and figure out the terms of peace. Find a way to avoid the war. You know, we try to engage in wars we cannot win. Unfortunately, sometimes we engage in wars that we can't win. And it leads to terrible consequences. After sharing these two illustrations, Jesus says, you know, none of you can become my disciples if you can't give up all your possessions. So now he said you have to hate your family, you have to hate your life, and by the way, you got to give up all your stuff. Now he's meddling, right? you got to give up all your stuff. But this follows everything that he has said. He's basically saying you can't love your stuff more than you love me. You can't love your family more than you love me. You can't love anything more than you love me if you're going to be my follower. Anything you put in my place becomes an idol. He says, I told you it wasn't going to be easy because you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. See, we can't say we're going to follow Jesus, but Jesus, just wait a minute because I got this business proposition going on. I, I love you, Jesus, but I've got this family affair going on. I love you, Jesus, but I've got this other thing that's more important going on. When Jesus says that we must give up everything, he means everything. It means all of it belongs to God anyway, and we are recognizing that he has a right to our lives, our possessions, our family, our time, our effort, our minds, our spirits, and everything in between. And Jesus is inviting us today to love him above everything else and to follow him before we follow anything else. Now, this is hard for us, especially in America, because we are taught that you are to chase your dreams, that you are to make a fortune, that you are to succeed based on what society says success is and that you are to rise above everyone else rather than be with them in their need. Everything in our culture 
is opposite in many ways to what Jesus is inviting us to. Our ambition, our schedules, our plans often get in the way of us being able to follow Jesus. What would it mean for us to consider the cost in the morning and say, Jesus, this is what I have before me today, but what is it that you want me to do? Where is it that you want me to go? What is it that you want me to say? What is it that you have in your agenda for me today? I think it would radically change the way we look at our days. It would radically change the way we approach every single day of our lives. We'd be following Jesus first and everything else second and third and fourth. I had to add the last couple of verses to the scripture to, because Jesus is trying to make a very sharp point. And he's kind of rough in the scripture. I mean, he's kind of right, like, okay, does it hurt here? Let me just put my finger and just press on it. I mean, he's just hitting a spot that is difficult for us to deal with. In closing, he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can it salt, its saltiness be restored? It is useful neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. They throw it away. They throw it away. He's basically saying as Christians, if we lose our drive, our determination, our desire, our commitment, our love, our conviction, and our faith in Jesus Christ, we lose everything. We lose the reason why we're here. We lose the purpose for our life. We lose the, what we have been promised in Jesus if we turn away and don't follow him and don't lay our lives down for him. He's saying, if you don't do that, you can't continue to be my disciples because disciples follow. Disciples learn. Disciples mimic we got to stay in love with Jesus. We have to stay connected to his kingdom. we got to continue to deny ourselves, take our cross every single morning, and realize that the opportunity cost of not doing so is not worth it. That when we choose anything but Jesus as our primary focus in life, we lose more than we could ever gain. Because Jesus is what we need. Jesus is what we need in everything in our lives. At the end, he says, those who have ears to hear, then hear. I think he added that on purpose. Because it's very easy for us to go, oh, look at this scripture. It's about the early church. It's about those early Christians. It's about those disciples. It's about those that were trying to figure out their faith in the, in the first century. And then he goes, by the way, if you have an ear to hear, this is for you. And I checked this morning. I got two. And so do you. What that tells me is this is for us. 
This word is not just for the early church. This word is not just for the first century. This word is not just for the early disciples. This is for anyone who would want to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. He has a claim on our lives that goes beyond the minimal amount that we want to give. And when we realize that we have to follow him without preconditions and limitations, that we have to surrender our will, even our dreams, even our hopes to him, because he has better plans for us, then we begin to understand what it means to pick up our cross and follow him. What's holding you back? from turning it all loose. Because there's always stuff. There's always things in us that say, yeah, Lord, but. We love that word, but. Yes, Lord, but. What will it take for us to follow Jesus all the way to the cross? To be willing to lay down our lives for our faith. And to declare that Jesus is Lord over everything in our lives. Even our families. Even our possessions. Even our very life. I pray we can pick up that cross. And follow Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the challenge of this scripture. I thank you, Lord, because it really makes us consider the cost the cost of not following you, the cost of not knowing you fully, the cost of not surrendering to you, the cost, O oh Lord, of, of not being faithful when you are so faithful. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have invited us, Lord, to just surrender everything to you, to love you more than we love anything else. On this day, I just want to ask you that if there's anything that is holding anyone here back from loving you more, from giving you the first place in their lives and in their hearts, for giving you the first place in their wallet and in their schedule, for from keeping you, O oh Lord, from giving you the first place in their mind and in their heart, that today will be the day when they open that to you and they surrender it to you. I just ask, O oh Lord, that as we worship and pray at this altar, that you'll set us free to follow Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is always open. And you can play, pray by yourself between the red markers, on the, uh, the green markers on this side. And if you come to anywhere else in the altar, one of our prayer team will come and will pray with you.